obviously, Peter, I've known your work for some time. I'm intrigued as how, where, where did it all start? Where, where did it, uh, what were your early influences? Um, I'd, I'd always loved doing photography as a teenager at school and um, I was a member of the camera club at school and we had a little darkroom attached to the chemistry department mm. and I used to go in there and uh, try and print, you know. And uh, I think growing up in Edinburgh, I was quite influenced by the Stills Gallery which um, I think started in the 1970s. Mm. And uh, also just seeing exhibitions at the Edinburgh Festival. You know, I've seen some wonderful exhibitions um, by August Sander. And um, I remember at the Stills Gallery seeing um, Paul Strand's Hebridean mm. exhibition. But also Tony Ray Jones, all kinds of people, you yeah. know, uh, probably quite, <clears throat> by today's standards, quite traditional photography. But this certainly had a big influence on me. I mean, I, I can even remember as a teenager going over to Glasgow to the Third Eye Centre and seeing Burned and Hilla Becker's um, exhibition of, mm. you know, cool um, tips. or Grinding gears. Grinding gears, yeah. 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 And kind of thinking, what on earth was this about, you know? But it had quite, it still had an impression on me. Mm. I was just thinking, why would anybody want to do this? You know, and I was only about 15 at the time, 16. But... Um, I think, you know, my family, that I, my mother was an art teacher and she had a huge influence on me and both my sisters, um, I've got an older sister, Louise, who went to Dundee Art College and the Royal College of Art in London and my younger sister, Annie, who uh, went to Glasgow Art College and then Belfast and then the Royal College. So it's very much in the family mm. and they were as influential as any, anybody really, you know, my actual family mm. and my parents' friends. My parents knew a lot of artists in Edinburgh. And um, my dad was a scientist, he was a physicist and uh, taught at Edinburgh University and uh, was a medic in hospitals. And I think kind of indirectly he was a big influence as well. But uh, I didn't really intend to, to be a photographer. <laughs> I don't think any of us ever do. No. <laughs> No, I think when I left school, I, I, I went to university to do history. And mm. um, so I was thinking along those terms. I was very good at writing at school as my strength, really. wasn't very good at science, unfortunately. Uh, and I loved sport. And I kind of got through school by being good at English and history and being good at sport, you know. And, um, but I just loved, I did art as well. You know, I did um, Scottish hires in art. And, um, but uh, I think I, my oldest sister, you know, because she's a, such a good painter and she went to Dundee, um, that I kind of felt that um, I couldn't live up to her. And uh, so I, I went to university to do my best subjects at school. And again, I was very involved in photography at the university um, and, uh, you know, enjoyed it, you know. Uh, and then I changed and I decided I wanted to go to art college and um, so I took a year off and got a job in Edinburgh as a photographer at the National Museum of Scotland, mm. which was mostly studio work and a lot of large format actually, 10 by 8 and um, so I, d I did that for a year and the head photographer was from London and he said, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you, um, do photography instead you know you didn't particularly enjoy being at university 
and why don't you go to art college instead? And I was kind of 50-50 about it. And then I kind of thought, well, I'll go and apply. And I had an interview at the London College of Printing, <clears throat> as it was called then, and I got in. And I suddenly thought, well, maybe I'm meant to do this, you know. And uh, I suddenly thought, well, why not, you know. Um, and I did a bit of film and television as well. It was part of the degree course mm. that you did all three video and um, moving film, you know. And I had a great time, actually. It was an amazing time to be there and uh, probably very different to how it is now. And there were some very talented people in my year and, you know, the budgets were better. Mm. All kinds of things, in a way, with hindsight, were very good. I mean, at the time, I think we complained like hell, like everybody but it does. Was a, it was a great era, wasn't it? I, mean, it was, I think it, so. You know, this is 1979 yeah. to 82. Yeah, well, ten, the 10 years before that, yeah. there were virtually no galleries of photography. Yeah. There was very little yeah. photography to be seen. So you came in yeah. at a time when it was really, really taking off, in a way. Yes, Definitely. Mm. I mean, I'm 60 this year, so, you know, I suddenly realised that uh, for some people the 1970s is a long time ago, and some people weren't born in the 1970s, who you meet now. And to me, it was just like it was yesterday, mm. you know. <clears throat> and uh, no, I can remember seeing a big exhibition of Cartier-Bresson's decisive moment at the Fruit Market Gallery in Edinburgh, you know, at the Edinburgh Festival. and. As I say, Paul Strand and uh, all kinds of people were showing, mm. you know, and I think an early influence was also there was a television series called Exploring Photography yep. on the BBC. Yeah. Uh, and it was just in that year where I was working at the museum. And I suddenly thought there's this big world out there with lots of people doing interesting things. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I thought that it was the right thing to do for me, you know. And I just loved it. I just loved the yeah. process. Mm. You know, uh, I know you've you've spoken to me about the printing side, but you know, I just enjoyed the process. That's right. You know, is, is, is that is that? I mean, you you enjoy the process. I mean, is that where the the love of printing came from? Was that where the love of the uh, uh, you say thought the process? I mean, obviously yes. the two things are interlinked. Yes. Um, so how do how do you see your the printing, the printing side, side developed. Yeah. How did that? Um, well, emerge? I did an awful lot of printing when I worked at the museum, right. and I had a tiny darkroom at home um, with a really not very, you know, a beginner's enlarger. Mm. Um, and I think it's just repetition. I, I think printing is a very repetitive process, and if you do it a lot, you become good at it. Um, and I didn't really think of myself as a printer at all. But um, because I'd done a lot of it, you know, obviously I was, you know, a, a competent printer. But you also looked at other people's prints. Yes. That, that was the point, isn't it? You, yes. You learn from looking at other people's exactly, work yeah. and, you, and you, you begin to assess what a good print should look like. And yes. so that feeds into your own work. Yeah. And, um, you know, reading about things like the zone system, which I couldn't understand to begin with, <laughs> um, and, you know, thinking there was this magical way of getting the perfect negative um, and starting thinking more about the negative as mm. much as anything. But um, It's also a way of seeing as well. Yes, it? yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think the more you do, uh, you just build up experience in photography. And I think a lot of photography is experience. The more you practice, uh, the better you become. Yeah, yeah. And the more it becomes part of you. Uh, and I think that's very much the case with something like black and white photography, which is what I, I love, really. 
um, the more you do, you know, it's a bit, I sometimes think it's a bit like maybe doing life drawing. It's a repetitive process that you might say, do life drawing if you were an artist, you know, several days a week and just kind of, so doing a similar thing over and over again, you know, and I think that's probably how I think of black and white photography. Yeah. Well, I, I agree and I think um, it's what you said, a lot of people perhaps don't have the patience yeah. to repeat yeah, you know they sort of want the instant, yeah, uh, the instant gratification, the instant image, yeah, um, without having to put in the graft. Yes, and in a sense, uh, it leads on to another point: is that relationship, in a sense, between mm. the fine print and yourself yeah. and the and the original the original image. There's that you know complex mm. intertwining of, of yes. the craft and the art and the vision yes. and, and and what you're trying to say about the subject. Yes, and all those things in, in, interlink. In, in yeah, very much so. I think it's a kind of um, process that uh, involves understanding the camera, understanding light, <clears throat> understanding film, mm. and understanding the darkroom. You know, and you have all these different stages that are all combined, and then there's your emotions and your psyche and what it is you want to say. Mm. Um, so it's a complex process um, and sometimes I kind of take it for granted and think, well, actually, it's not very important. And then you talk to some people and, you know, they're totally fascinated by what you do mm. and, uh, you know, they're amazed at this kind of complex relationship between all the different components and how they all come together. I always used to refer to it as um, a bit like um, Japanese Zen tea ceremony. Yeah, you know, so that there was, you know, the, the way that I work, and I think you work in a very similar way, mm. is you have these kind of rituals of making making pictures from the, yes. the initial visualization yeah. to the, through to the to the craft to the to the to the taking of the picture, yeah. and then to the recreation of that in in, in the darkroom. And it's it's yeah. one seamless process, but broken up into yeah. into into various sections. Yeah, and um, you know they all build into a hopefully into a homogenous yes. statement at the end. Yes. And they're all equally important. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, having worked as a printer with Faye Godwin for a long time, and um, sometimes with other people, but not, not really properly, but certainly with Faye for a long time and doing my own work, you become more interested in the negative. And I think that's been a big issue for me. And it, it is now. I mean, uh, you know, I'm actually in a way more interested in getting a good negative because I know once I've got a good negative, I can get a good print. So there's that emphasis. Mm. Um, and I remember when I started teaching, I, I started teaching in the 1980s with workshops at Paul Hills in Derbyshire. And uh, some of the people there were very, very technical. <laughs> so I realized that I needed to kind of gen up a bit more. <laughs> so I kind of plowed through Ansel Adams' book, The Negative, and kind of got to know it inside out and upside down. And uh, it helped me a lot, actually. It helped me to kind of explain what I was trying to do, but also just in teaching in general. And uh, then I, you know, I've, I used to teach work, so workshops with Peter Goldfield, yeah, you know, yeah. who ran, uh, you know, the famous shop in Muswell Hill. And then down in Duxpool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, he used, he and I used to teach a workshop, a weekend workshop, to do with his own system mm. and uh, again if you do that a lot we must have done it at least 10 times together you know you you get to know it very very well 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of mystique around the zone system, but people mm. actually forget that Ansel Adams designed the zone system yeah. as a way of teaching kids who knew nothing about photography yes. the basics of exposure and development. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. what it was designed for. And yeah. So people people get, you know, people like Minor White yeah. turned it into this um, yes. bit of a mystique. Yes. But in fact, it was just basic yeah. technical yes. craft. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes teach it now, you know, at St. Martin's Art College and people get thoroughly confused. Mm. And they think, oh, I just thought photography was about taking pictures and, you know, making images. And this is all about numbers and something else, chemistry and science. And um, they don't particularly want to learn. But, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's something that you need to know and understand, but then almost forget about. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And then it, mm. it shouldn't get in the way of you actually doing no. practical work at all, you know. Um, but that's why you have to hone it. Yes, yes. Yeah. I sometimes think it's a bit like driving a car. You know what speed you're meant to change gear in. Yeah. And then, you know, when you learn to drive and you pass your test, you go out driving. And then after a few months, you forget about it because it's all completely natural. And you know, you almost hear the revs of the engine. Yeah. You know when you're meant to do this, when you're meant to do that. And you don't need a book to refer to to, to drive a car. But initially, it's a big learning curve. Um, but... Um, I mean, that, I think it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people do think that the, the craft is, is kind of irrelevant. Mm. It's all done for you. But I mean, yeah. I, think, I, think we, I think all photographers, uh, I don't know whether you agree with this, I think all photographers, good photographers, have that craft instinct yeah. in there. You know, and it just, some, with some it's articulated more than others. Yeah. And um, as you say, you know, once you have that craft, you kind of just forget about it and it becomes integral yeah to your work but you're quite right you have to keep on doing it you have to yeah keep on i mean it. i i this summer i met up with an old school friend from edinburgh and we went to see the cindy sherman exhibition at the national portrait gallery you can see her early work the film stills then technically not very good at all you know but the ideas are very interesting mm. and then you know almost every five years she sort of develops significantly and then you, you go and see the, the very latest work, and technically it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Um, but obviously she's getting help from someone along the line, you know, along the way. But I think you can see it. You can see it with Maplethorpe's work. His early stuff is just Polaroids and experimenting. Yeah. And then his later work becomes um, technically much, much better. And the same with Faye Godwin, who I worked with. You know, if you look at her early negatives, they're not so good. Um, and, um, I mean, she always used to tell me that she went on a workshop with Paul Caponegro. Yeah. Or in Derbyshire. In Derbyshire. Yeah. And he taught her the zone system in like a day. And suddenly her negatives become much better. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, she ha always had that kind of visualization and natural flair, you know, creative flair and energy. But then suddenly linking that with good technique and then she's away. She's away. You yeah. know, uh, and... She used to joke about some of the negatives from the remains of Elmet that, well, this is a real stinker, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you actually become a printer? How did you... Uh, how, well, how when I did my about? degree at LCP, I was taught in my second year by Helen McQuillan, who um, had worked with Faye, and she did a kind of fine printing workshop. Um, Helen had been a student of Tom Cooper at uh, right. 
Derby or Nottingham, I think, Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, she was a very, very good printer. Uh, and I did this workshop with her. <clears throat> and I enjoyed it. I found it very interesting. And uh, she kind of introduced us to kind of high-quality fiber-based paper, like the old Record Rapid mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, and Portriga and Bravira. And uh, we all got very excited by that, you know, because we'd only been printing with resin coated before. And, um, but then I moved on, I started doing other kinds of work, you know, in my third year at college. Um, and then I, when I left LCP, I was initially doing portraits for magazines and finding it quite hard to get the work, you know, I did. Uh, and I assisted a, an advertising photographer as well, who was also a food photographer. And I didn't really know what direction I was going in. And then um, I was staying in a house owned by a tutor from college. And it was through him that, um, you know, I got this link with Faye, that hearing that Faye wanted to get a new assistant. Um, and would I be interested? And I thought, well, I'll give it a try, see what happens. Um, we got on very, very well. And... Um, you know, I mean, initially I wasn't desperately keen because it was all darkroom work. Sure. You know, I thought, well, I actually, you know, I'm getting work published in magazines, you know. And um, I didn't really know how I saw my career, but I thought, well, I don't want to be in the darkroom all the time, you know. But then after a while, I kind of, things changed and, um, you know, the printing became more interesting. You know, she let me print her exhibitions and things mm -hmm. like that. And then around about that sort of mid-1980s period, she got loads of coverage. You know, she had a big show at the Serpentine Gallery and she was getting lots of commissions. And, um, you know, it was an exciting time to mm. be working with her. I mean, I was still doing my own work and occasionally exhibiting and occasionally doing commercial work, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I was just, uh, you know... I found myself going in that direction. So, so her work kind of fed, do you find it influenced yours in, in any yes, way? Yes, yeah. I mean, when I was, my degree show was to do with urban landscapes. And uh, I think I thought I was kind of um, Mahali Naji or someone like that, you know, Rodchenko or, you know, I was doing these very abstract urban pictures. Modernist sort of, a, yeah. Modernist, yeah. yeah very yeah. graphic-y, yeah, yeah. kind of slightly puzzling images, you weren't quite sure of the scale or whatever, yeah. all about shadow and light mm. and influenced by Bill Brandt Bill, as well, yeah. you know, and the very urban pictures around London, uh, some with flash as well, on-camera flash, and and I exhibited those a few times. Uh, in fact, I had a show down at Laycock Abbey in about 1984, and then just driving down there to Wiltshire, um, borrowed my sister's car and went down to Wiltshire, and I then I did a few pictures around that area and then I went back again a month later and just loved it you know and thought well actually the rural landscape was much more interesting as a subject than the urban landscape uh, and that's when I kind of changed direction really mm -hmm. about 1984 um, and obviously the influence of Faye sure. as well because I was printing her landscape you were pictures. bombarded with those images yeah you just suddenly every day yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. I just suddenly thought well actually you know I spent a lot of time in the country in Scotland as a child growing up and done a lot of hill walking and it's part of me part of who mm. I am 
And I kind of just, there was a gradual shift in that direction, you know, and then suddenly I thought, yeah, okay, let's give it a go, you know. And um, so every chance I got, I would, I would work in the rural landscape, yeah. Mm, great. You, you mentioned you, you, you teach and you have taught. Yeah. How, how do you find working with, with young people? How do you, does that influence your work or does, does, is it a two-way thing with you? Or? Um, I enjoy it on the whole. Um, I think teaching, I, I've, I've taught at St. Martin's since about 1986. Um, and then I taught at LCC from about 87 to about 2000. And then I taught at Camberwell from about 2000 to about 2010. So I've always always seemed to be doing part-time teaching. I've never had a full-time job. Mm. I've never had a lectureship. I've always done part-time. Um, and so I've taught a huge range of students, mm. you know. And in fact, some of those students at art colleges are quite mature students, you know, in their 30s, 40s, mm. 50s. Um, I mean, I did teach on a foundation course at LCC for 10 years, and they were very young. They were mostly 18, 19, straight out of school. And that was quite hard, actually, because they were on a very steep learning curve. Yeah. But some of them have gone on to become well-known artists and lecturers. Mm. And, you know, when I look at those names, the people I taught, some of them have become very established artists. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of the work at St. Martin's is quite issue-based, you know, uh, to do with gender and race and sexuality and those kind of issues, you yeah. know, quite political. Um, and similarly at LCC, and uh, I think Camberwell has become more of a kind of fine art course now where you can do sculpture mm. within the photography degree, that kind of thing, you know. But uh, I've always enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to start a new term in about a week's time. So I've got to rev myself up and <laughs> focus on those new people. But usually they're very enjoyable. I mean, I, I also I teach things like I teach a portrait course at St. Martin's about five times a year. Mm. <clears throat> and we have great fun. You know, and I teach a lot of studio lighting. And, um, you know, I've always enjoyed working in the studio as well. You know, uh, I'm not just a landscape photographer who works with daylight and thinks about the zone system all the time. You know, I, I do quite a lot of other things. Mm. I've done a lot of architectural photography and I've been, over the last few years, I've been doing quite a lot of close-up and still-life mm. photography as an experiment, you know. So do you find that change of pace actually stimulating? I mean, actually doing different things from time to yes. time gives you a gives your brain a rest, as it were. You know, and then and then it's partly by necessity. Yeah, you know, I because I've got uh, two daughters, and um, my wife was seriously ill about ten years ago, and I, I just didn't travel for two years. I didn't do any mm. kind of landscape work at all for two, two even three years properly. And actually, I started doing some still life work because I couldn't travel, and it was partly by necessity. Mm. Um, and I've always wanted to do that, and it was just something I thought, well, you know, let's just do it, you know. And um, but um, yeah, and no, I'm interested in all kinds of work, you know. It's just, I'm mm. probably best known for I don't know ten or twenty photographs. I think that happens to everybody. It's inevitable, isn't it? Isn't you, it? You, you, yeah. you, you get you get pigeonholed. Yes. You know, I think I think we all do very different things, but yes. uh, when people 
approach you to say, oh, you're the guy that does this yes. and does that. Yeah. And um, the, the 90% of your work is probably something kind, else. kind of forgotten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're talking about the family. Um, your World War I work, that, yes. that came out of a family connection, yes, didn't it? Absolutely. To start with? Yeah. I mean, was that personal involvement the initial stimulus? Was it a catalyst? Or did it become central uh, t to that work in the end? Um, well, it was my mother's uncle, yeah. who, who was from Sheffield. Uh, my mother's family, my parents are both English. And, uh, you know, my mother was from kind of Derbyshire, Sheffield kind of area. And uh, her family go back there a long, long way. And her great, her uncle, uh, my great uncle, was, was a landscape artist. And he'd been to Sheffield Art College and the Slade School in London. And my grandmother had a lot of letters and photographs um, and some of his artwork, you know, that she had in a kind of drawer, you know, kept it. Mm. And, uh, you know, she would occasionally show me these things. And, uh, uh, and when she passed away, we obviously, um, you know, we had all that stuff in our house and I would look at it from time to time. And um, I think with the Great War Project, uh, it was obviously in his memory, in a homage to him. Mm. But then it also became about some of his friends and the photographs, researching those people. Because I would research, you know, he was often in a photograph with say three or four or 10 other people. And you'd start researching those other people as well. And I became interested in that. And uh, the project kind of grew and grew and grew. Mm -hmm. I mean, initially in 1996, I went over to the Somme because it was the 80th anniversary. And I thought, well, I'd, I'll take my 6x7 camera and tripod and I'll take some photographs of the front line where he died. And I did that. And then I, I went back to London and developed them and showed them to a few people. And they said, oh, they're very interesting. They're very good. You know, you ought to do more. And then I went back the following year and did some more. And then I would go back once or twice a year, each year, maybe at different times of the year. <clears throat> and I would, um, it just grew and grew. And um, researching my father's uncle who went through the whole war and survived. And then looking at the poets like Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon and those kind of people, you know, growing up in South Edinburgh, you know, Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon were at Craig Lockett Hospital, which is, you know, like a 10-minute drive from mm. where I grew up. And Sassoon even played golf in the same golf club that I was a member of, you know. So these connections, and people would talk about that in South London. they talk about their poets and so on. Um, but then actually going there to the places, going to the canal that Owen was killed at, crossing the canal, you know, Sombrawas Canal, and, you know, going to all the places that my father's uncle had been to. And every, almost every year I've been going to the spot where my mother's uncle was killed. Um, but then, you know, you become interested in other areas of mm. the... It's a big subject. Of course it is. Huge. It's a huge subject. Yeah. I mean, you could, yeah. I could photograph it for the rest of my life and, and only just scratch the surface, you know. I mean, it, it's the same with all projects. You go on these different strands and different yeah. journeys and different yes. down, as you say. You can, yes. you can, it can, it can go on forever. Which, in a sense, leads on to when you're making a new, when you start a new body of work or when you go off in a new direction. How much initial research do you do? Um, I've, I've always been interested in history right. and literature and poetry, 
And sometimes I go to places just because of connections, literary connections or whatever. Um, I mean, I've been to Wales quite a lot. I mean, even before coming to Macunthleth, I say it correctly. <laughs> but, you know... Um, getting the hang of it now. <laughs> <laughs> but things like, you know, I, I, I spent a week one Easter going around Snowdonia and the mm. Glitters in the 1980s. Um, I've, I did a trip around the south. I had friends living in Caerphilly mm. and stayed with them and went around the Brecon Beacons. In fact, I was interested in the Valleys project. Yeah. And so I, I spent two days looking at the Rhonda Valley and, and then thinking, um, actually, I didn't want to photograph this at all. Yeah. You know, Interesting. And, yeah. yeah, no, I saw all those rows of miners' cottages and all of that that everybody else had photographed. Become, they become cliches almost, yes. don't they? Yes. And then I yeah. thought, actually, it's very interesting. I'm glad I had a look at it, yeah. but I don't want to photograph it. And then I immediately I go up into the Brecon Beacons and then I have a fantastic day right. taking lots of pictures. So, so in, other, in other words, you may be triggered by yeah. history, by your love of you know, historical yes. fact. Yes. But once you get into a physical environment, yeah. That becomes a, the, the main trigger yes. for your work, the actual physical environment. Yes, that's right. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think probably, um, you know, there's interest in memory and uh, association, personal association, but historical association, you know. Um, I mean, I can remember going to Dylan Thomas's boathouse mm. and photographing around there just because I was I loved his writing, right, yeah. you know, and I think well, there's no harm in going and photographing that area, you know, in homage to him. Because, well, yeah. many of the poets and artists were, of course, were also inspired by their own yeah. environment as yeah. well. So yeah. it, those places, it's, it's, it's no yeah. surprise that those places don't, yeah. you know, um, influence, influence us. In yeah. yeah, I mean, I've known R.S. Thomas's poetry since I was a child and we had a, a teacher in Edinburgh who loved R.S. Thomas and uh, you know so staying here I then went off and I had a look at the chapel where mm. he used to preach and I spent a day with Diane and uh, Jeff walking around that area you know there's a RSPB reserve there mm. you know, oh yeah and I and did some here. work yeah. around there yeah. you know so there are connections like that, you know, that I'm very interested in. I mean, sometimes it's just the, the scale of the place. I mean, going up mountains. I mean, you know, in Scotland, you have these Munros, which are over 3,000 feet. And there's a, about 350 of them. <laughs> and I think I've done about 20, 20 yeah. uh, carrying all my gear. So, cool. yeah. Um, but, um, and then in Wales, obviously, I mean, I've, I've been up Cader Idris now three times. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's a place that fascinates me. And I know you've done a, obviously done a book about it. Yeah, had a yeah. big connection. But, um, you know, there are places like that. I mean, Snowdonia and the Glitters I find very interesting. Mm. I would go back to the Glitters and photograph there. I think the, the, the thing mm. about them is, of course, mm. as, as you know as well as I do, uh, that they different every time you go there. Yes. You know, the yes. same location, you can pass the same location one day yeah. and not take it a sec, give it a second glance. Yeah. And another day becomes this magical yes. spot. And yeah. it's not necessarily about the grand views, it's about yeah. that personal interaction yeah. with, a, with a particular place at a, yeah. at a particular time. And um, yeah. I mean, and, and you have it's to be also, the right. Your, your own emotions, your, your, emotions, your own thought processes, yeah. you know, you, you change as a person. Yes. I mean, I first went up the Glitters in 1994, and I'm a very different person now than I was then, you know. Mm. And uh, But, um, you know, in Wales, I mean, I've, I remember going 
to Brecon because my great-grandmother was from Brecon and mm, I was interested right. in that connection. So there's some Welsh blood in me somewhere. Um, yeah, it's interesting how, how, how we do make these connections with places. I mean, you yeah. talk about the poetry. Yeah. Um, when I was doing that work in the west of Ireland, I had to go to Ben Bilbon. Yes, you know, because of Yeats. W. B. Yeats. Yes. You know, I just, I just had to, I just yes. had to go there. Yes. You know, something draws you to that place, and yes. I found the whole of Sligo kind of an yeah. amazing place. Whether it was because of that yeah. or not, but you just become somehow there's some tenuous, yes. tenuous connection yeah. uh, with the. Place. I've struggled a bit with Yeats's writing, to be honest. I don't find him easy to read, but I, I have, I've been to his gravestone in yes. Sligo, yeah. yeah, and I've yeah. been, I've climbed Ben Bulban. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there are those connections that are very powerful. Mm. Yes, yeah, because some some people see um, landscape work, the traditional landscape work that you and I have both mm. are both done, um, as just being picturesque or mm. um, sort of vaguely topographical, yeah. um, without perhaps understanding the layers that yes. go, go into it. Yes, indeed. You know, um, yes. And, and the layers of understanding and the personal connections between yeah. places. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of your work, you know, can be of very ordinary places. Definitely. You know, they're not spectacular views. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. it's, this, it's this intimacy yeah. and the connection between yeah. yourself and the... And that immediate environment at that particular moment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's yeah. that's that's the thing that, that yeah. connects you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I. There are times when you physically you you do an enormous effort climbing a mountain, carrying all your gear to photograph, and you may not get one good picture. Mm. And then you know you can just park your car, go for a ten-minute walk, and suddenly you get the best picture that you've ever done. And it's it's a sort of strange thing with photography. Yep. Is that um, you've got to put yourself in situations where you can do work, and it it could be that you know you travel somewhere because of a literary connection or a personal connection, mm-hmm. um, but you don't always know what you're going to get. Um, and I think that I, I like the chance occurrence of things. I like the um, experience. You know the. I suppose it's a rather romantic view of landscape where you go out and you experience what's there, you know, sort of Wordsworth or, you know, romantic mm. poets and things like that. But you, there is the, you know, you respond to the light at the time, you respond to the place. You've got um, to put the graft in, haven't you? Yes. You've got to put the, you've got to put the time in. Yeah, yeah. You know, I sometimes used to yeah. say this to myself, you know, You've chosen to do this. <laughs> Get on and bloody Get well do it. it. Well, I think it's perhaps yeah. it's the old eighty twenty rule. You know, you, yeah. you put eighty percent of the effort yeah. in for twenty percent of the yes. of the of the of the output you yes. know, of the of the success. Um, but it, you know, with 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 you and and with my and with all landscape mm. photographers that I've spoken to, mm. um, it's the it's the fact of of being there. Yeah. Otherwise, it becomes purely topographical, doesn't it? Yes. You know, if you say yeah. I'm going to photograph a location today, yeah. then that just becomes t- cold and topographical. Yes. Whereas if you have that connection, uh, whether you have uh, the kind of with, with yours was a family connection, the, yeah. the historical connection, or yeah. you just have an, an affinity with a certain place for yeah. some completely intangible reason. Yes. Um, but you just you know, at the end of the day, you have to be there in the yes. wet. And the rain and the cold and the mist, all, all yeah, the sunshine, yeah, yeah. Uh, to experience it. Yes. So how, how do you f- feel about your work progressing in the future? Do you have any plans or new projects? Or, or do you see it just 
gradually um, Well, evolving. I think as I get older, there's the sort of physical limitations that I, I, you know, I physically probably can't climb mountains all the time. Um, I would like to do spend more time doing my creative work. When I live in central London, mm-hmm. and I do find that an issue, and I have done for several years, I'd like to live somewhere outside of central London, but my wife and my children love it where we are. Completely happy, 100%. Right. So um, I would say that I would really like to move, live somewhere else where I was nearer the landscape, where mm-hmm. I could do projects. I could just develop projects uh, without having to drive four hours to get somewhere interesting or three hours or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know. Um, I don't like doing urban landscapes anymore. And I love doing portraits and I'm interested in architectural photography, but I don't, I can't really do architectural urban landscapes. You know, like obviously someone like John Davis, for yeah, instance, yeah. very famous. But I can kind of, you know, I'm always fascinated by his work or, say, Thomas Struth's work mm. or mm. people that do creative work in cities because um, I, I just don't seem to be able to do it myself. I don't, you know, it becomes, I don't know, it just doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's interesting, isn't it, that the environment in which you live yeah. doesn't resonate with you in the no. same way as the environment in which you, no. you know, you're, you're a relative stranger. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I guess with me it was the opposite, but it was because yeah. I actually moved out into the landscape yes. in order to do it. But um, I think you know that that's that's kind of that's yeah. kind of interesting. I mean, yeah. can you do, are there things that you can do within a city that um, might be a foil to the landscape work? Well, it's things like still life still work life, and yeah. portraits. Yeah, yeah I, I do portraits whenever I can. I mean, I used to kind of really chase work for magazines, right. mm. and I don't do that at the moment. But I teach a portrait class five times a year. So I, I do portrait work for that, you know, and I think about portraits obviously when I'm lecturing mm. and when I'm teaching. Um, but um, yeah, I, I love doing portraits. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. But, um, you know, it's different doing it. I mean, I've, I would like to exhibit portraits, but I haven't ever done that. I mean, I think maybe once or twice in a group exhibition, but, you know, I would like to, Maybe you know you have my portrait work given the recognition that my mm. landscape work has. Do you know what I mean? Have have, have that kind of profile, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe what you do is you you, you make a portfolio of that and put it together in a yeah. as, as a book dummy or as a, yeah. as a exhibition proposal. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, I've always enjoyed it when yeah. people have used my work in. You know, like I, I did a series of portraits of artists at one time, and um, some of them have passed away now, you mm. know, so they're kind of historical documents in a way. But I remember a famous Scots painter had a retrospective at the Edinburgh Festival, and he used my portrait of him really large, you know, like in a mm. banner, and I was very moved to see that. And that was a picture I'd done when I was a mm. student, you know. Of course, Faye did a lot of portraits of, of writers yes. in the early part of her Yes. career as well, didn't she? You Absolutely, yeah. yeah. She's got a huge archive mm. of famous writers and poets. And, you know, she did a project about, um, you know, sheep farmers in the Lake District t- towards the end of her career and mm. things like that. So yeah. It's interesting you've talked about your love of portraits. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you mentioned also mentioned earlier Paul Strand. Yes. I mean, I'm wondering whether you ever thought about perhaps reproducing his kind of Hebridean epic 
um, perhaps you're in Wales if you're doing a lot of work in <laughs> Wales or, or somewhere with a mixture of the of the portraits, the indigenous people, the portraits, the people who live within the landscape and the landscape itself. It's a very good question. Um, I mean, I, I I think the Paul Strand book was a certain era in time, sort of 1950s or something like that, or maybe earlier, I don't know, 50s, 60s, I don't know. And it was a particular moment mm. when maybe those people have now moved out, you know, is that, that that kind of lifestyle doesn't exist anymore. I mean, I know Chris Killett was very influenced yeah. by that book and he did his Isle of Man, Isle of Man book, yeah. almost yeah. an exact copy mm. in, in, in um, approach. And, you know, you have this juxtaposition in the book of a portrait on one page and then a landscape on the next page. And obviously the, the suggestion is that the people are formed by the landscape and uh, there's a very big influence of the two. Um, I think it's something I probably need to look at and, and try and resolve in my mm. own mind. And I can't necessarily answer right no. at the moment. But I mean, those, those bodies of work were of their time. Yes. But any, any body of work you did now would also yeah. be of its time, wouldn't yes. it? Yes, exactly, yes. You know, so, uh, yeah. I mean, I've met students that do my portrait co course who've, who, who have a, every weekend, they just go into central London and they do documentary pictures of people and they do like a project like a hundred people in London, you know, and they, f they don't photograph everybody, they photograph people that they talk to and maybe like for some reason and they position them in relation to the background, maybe to do with color or space and those kind of issues. Um, you know, I mean, I, I would like perhaps to do a more long-term project with portraits. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I tend to do kind of one-off jobs, one-off portraits for, for a reason. And, um, you know, I think at one time I got a bit disenchanted with portraits because I was photographing businessmen all the time. And it was for a particular style, like for a graphic designer mm -hmm. in a, you know, a design group, or it was for a magazine, and you had to do a certain kind of picture. And I'm always amazed when you look at someone like Brian Griffin's work, the kind of quality of work that he has done mm. in that same environment, you know, the same kind of pressures and the same situations. Um, but, you know, and I, every time I try and do something a bit more surreal, like he would do, it doesn't work. And I don't know why, but... I'm very good at doing more straightforward pictures, yeah. you know, um, and that's what I seem to be good at. But I, I don't know, it's a very good question, and it's something that I probably need to address fairly soon if I'm ever going to do it, you know. But um, I do have an archive of artists and studios right. and, you know, a few politicians and, you know, all kinds of people that have interested me. And then I have a lot of commercial stuff, which, uh, to be honest, didn't interest me and doesn't now. I, I just did it because I needed to do it at the time. Well, maybe the way is you, you make the pictures that from now on that you want to make. That's, yes. that's the important thing, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. How was your work? I mean, you've done, I know you've, you've been visiting Machanlith quite a lot yes. lately. Yes. Do you see this, the work you're doing around here, building up into, into, into a coherent body of work, or is it just I'd like random to think at the so. moment? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got some good images. Um, yeah, it's just exploring the area. It's discovering the area by just doing it, you mm. know. Um, it takes a while to get into the skin of a place, It does, it? definitely. And and I think it would be arrogant to say that I could just come and drop in and do the odd week here and there and get something really powerful. But I think I think it's definitely somewhere that I, I, I respond to. 
Um, and it does remind me a little bit of Scotland, actually. Mm. I mean, some of the, you know, taking the train down to Aberystwyth, some of the hills that you see are very much like Dumfrieshire. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Cambrian Mountain. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, very rounded and uh, probably from glaciers, but mm, uh, yeah. very, very rounded, very much like southern Scotland. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a similar landscape, you know, river valleys, you know, farming, um, you know, there's a rawness, there's a toughness about mm. it. So is it the similarity that attracts you to, to certain possibly, land, landscapes? Possibly, yeah. I mean, some of the coastal bits that I photographed are, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of coast in Scotland, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but, uh, you know, some of the bits that I photographed have been interesting. Because um, some people are attracted to places that are completely opposite of their, yeah. what they what they feel comfortable with. Yeah. And that sense of uncomfortableness, yeah. that sense of alienation yeah. uh, can, can be a stimulus as well because you're exploring yeah. something yeah. that you're, you're for, the, for the first time. You know, yeah, yeah. This is an, uh, strange, yeah. this is a strange landscape. And kind yeah, of, uh, yeah uh, no, I mean, I've photographed in southern Spain, mm. you know, um, and that is very different, obviously, from Britain. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I've been on, been down to Andalusia twice on holiday, and taken my gear with me. You know, and done not a lot, but done a few days mm. when when on holiday. And you know, I was very interested at one time in David Bomberg's work. You know, and um, he did a lot of work around Ronda, mm. and so I was <clears throat> consciously looking for kind of David Bomberg landscapes. You know, in the rock formations around mm. Ronda. So the things like that that I might do just out mm. of interest, um, but that's a very different landscape. Where, you know, the bits of France are very similar to Britain. I mean, I think in the First World War, a lot of the many of the soldiers, you know, when they were fighting, um, could identify, you know, where they were because mm. it was so similar to Sim home. Yeah, they gave you know, them home names as well, didn't they? Yes. They gave them names. Yes. Yeah, but. Um, you know, I mean, I do like mountains. I like being high up. I like the, the viewpoint of looking down from mm. high up. I like having pictures that don't have a sky in it. I mean, in terms of kind of pictorial conventions, you know, the traditional landscape and Western art has usually got a foreground, a middle ground, background and a sky, mm. you know. And um, I kind of rather enjoy not having that, you know, just yeah, having think, yeah. a sort of abstraction of something in the in the middle distance or the foreground. But skies and whales are all grey anyway, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are in Scotland. <laughs> they are in Scotland. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I sometimes think that when I'm doing landscape work, I am doing a kind of still life work anyway. Right. You know, that yeah. I'm attracted to things in the foreground. Mm. Mm. And sometimes I play between the foreground and the background. You have something out of focus in the background and something strong shape in the foreground. Mm. And I've been doing that kind of imagery for a long time. I think I think probably I'm very interested in pictorial conventions, in landscape work. You know, with uh, you know, how do you translate this three-dimensional world into a two-dimensional two. print? Sure. You know, and there are conventions, particularly in Western art, to do with that. Mm. But they're kind of. Um, it's a difficult process, you know. I don't find it easy at all. I find it very but, difficult. But it's also a ploy to reveal to the viewer something that they would probably pass. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it's you know the pictorial conventions are only there yeah. as a way of interacting with, with with the viewer. Yes, in order to get the viewer. So I mean, yeah. most of your landscapes are about those intimate places and about your yeah. intimate relationship with the place. Yes. So any pictorial convention that you bring yeah. to the to the to the image is about bringing the viewer in yeah. and making them look maybe at something that they would have in the landscape would have passed by without a second glance. Yes. And that's 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 yeah. that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think you become I mean, there's this old, I think a sort of minor white kind of saying or West Coast American saying that you go out and find your subject where your subject finds you. Find you. Yes. Yeah. And there's a little bit about that going on, I think. Um, but... Um, well, there's also another famous one, and you probably like this from Scotland. Um, minor white always talk about Zen. Yeah. And he was talking, and Paul Caponigo said, minor white, minor white rambled on about Zen a lot, he said. Yeah. Um, I found that half a bottle of whiskey worked best. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it's a strange process, and I, I sometimes question why on earth am I doing this? Um, but you've kind of made a commitment, and at a certain time in my life, when I was very young, mm. I decided yeah. to go down this route, and I've just kept going. And then, obviously, there's things like financial commitments and having a family, you need to look after them, and I'm not quite sure what else I would do if I wasn't doing this, you know. Um, but at the same time, there is something that I have always loved about photography, and there's something about the process that I, is still, I find, magical. Absolutely. You know, I think probably the most magical thing is when I develop the films, and I hang them up to dry, and I know what I've got. And, you know, I find that very exciting, you know, just that particular moment. It, it yeah. never goes away, is it? No, that excitement no. never goes away. Yeah. No, no, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it will continue for many years yes. to come. Yes. Thank you very Thank much, you. Peter.